Hi, this is Jim Labato, and I'm president and founder of a company called Performance Group. You're listening to the podcast version of a program that originally aired on the BizTalk radio show. I started BizTalk so you'd have access to today's leading experts about growing your company and yourself. BizTalk is produced by Performance Group. At Performance Group, we work at the front end of a company's revenue stream. We find the salespeople who generate the revenue, and we provide onboarding programs that get them doing that sooner. Our passion is aligning talent with opportunity. That's why we're known as a Salesforce development company. Enjoy the program. Jonathan Farrington is our guest. He is a globally recognized business coach, sales strategist, author, and CEO of Top Sales Associates. He's also the chairman of the JF Corporation and the creator of TopSalesWorld.com. Throughout his career, Jonathan has guided hundreds of companies and more than 90,000 frontline salespeople and sales leaders towards optimal sales levels. He has also worked with a number of the largest, most successful international corporations. Jonathan's written work has been republished by a host of journals, including the New York Times, the Washington Post, and the London Times. He is consistently named among the top 20 most influential sales and marketing experts. We are fortunate that Jonathan is willing to share insights from his recent article in Top Sales World magazine, The Future of Professional Selling, There's No Way Back Now, a discussion on the future of the sales training industry and Jonathan's predictions on sales for the next three to five years. Jonathan, welcome to the program. Thanks very much indeed, Jim. It's a real pleasure to be back. Yeah, it is a pleasure having you back. What got me interested when we first talked was I think you talked about the near death of the sales profession, and we talked about that, and that podcast is available out on our website, biztalkradioshow.com. But we're talking today about the future of professional selling. There's no way back. And I guess the best way to get into our discussion today, when I read the article, this is the quote that stood out for me. You wrote this. You said, today, the business community has to regard the sales call as an expenditure for which there are substitutes. And for our audience, give us some background of what you're saying, what those substitutions could be for businesses. Yes, of course. I mean, for, for years and years and years and years, we all believed, and that's we in the sales space, that there was no substitute for face-to-face selling. And, and no one has been a bigger evangelist for face-to-face selling than me. Reality is with us. And what we have to consider is, given the advances in technology, there are now adequate substitutes. And face-to-face selling is only really necessary in view, in my humble view, of course, right at the top end where consultancy, genuine consultancy, is taking place. You see, selling is becoming commoditized, whether we like it or not. And you've only got to look around. When was the last time you visited your bank to borrow money? I wager a long time ago. Now everything is conducted online. It's all automated, and so on and so forth. This is exactly what's happening in the sales space. You know, fundamentally, it boils down to cost. Everything always comes back to profit. All of us in business are there to make a profit. We're not there for the good of our health. Um, And I saw some figures the other day, and I don't remember whether it was from Gartner, but I, I suspect, or it may have even been Aberdeen Group, Um, Last year, the average cost of an on-road salesperson, including all of their expenses, and I I suspect a company car, was $165,000. This is in North America, of course. But the average cost of an internal salesperson was less than $60,000. But if we've got the tools now, 
And if we've got the technology to conduct our business relationships more and more online, it's a no-brainer, isn't it, surely, that we're going to drive a lot of our sales efforts from inside because we're actually creating more profit for our share by doing that. So that's at the root, really, you know, my theory. But what I do want to say, Jim, this is important. You see, I do believe 80% of sales roles are going to change within the next three years. And when you say that, many people think, oh, my goodness, 80% of sales jobs are going to disappear. No, 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 no. We are going to lose a lot of sales positions, of course, as everything becomes volatile. Spain, what's happening is we're going to see this huge seismic shift from external sales to internal sales. But at the top 20% will remain in their current consultative collaborative role. I mean, if you want to look beyond that, I mean, in the course of this conversation, we can do that because I, frankly, if you look at the three key commercial areas within any organization, which is marketing, sales, and then customer retention, I think the sales role is going to become less important in many industries than the other two. We're going to need marketing to create the opportunity. The sales going to take place online, but it's the quality of our customer care and our to retain our clients that's going to give us an edge. Our guest today on BizTalk is Jonathan Farrington, globally recognized as one of the leading sales strategists. We're discussing the article he wrote in Top Sales World magazine, The Future of Professional Selling, There's No Way Back Now, a discussion on the future of sales in Jonathan's predictions for sales over the next three to five years. Well, Jonathan, in our discussion so far, you're really advocating really the growth of an inside sales team partly because of the rising cost of fielding a sales force and also the, the efficiencies that they bring to the table. But is that a global statement? Should all of our companies be fielding inside sales teams at this point? Well, I have to say that it's industry-specific, Jim. Okay. You know, in some industries, and particularly when you're talking big-ticket value, then, yes, where relationships matter, then clearly face-to-face selling still has a big part to play. But, you know, one of the secrets of all of this, Jim, is really for us to ask our customers. We can't sit in our ivory towers and dictate how our relationship with our clients and customers is going to be managed anymore. We have to ask them, how would you like this relationship to be? Do you need to see us face-to-face? Are you happy with video conferencing? Are you happy with telephone conversation? Are you happy with email communication? We can't make assumptions anymore. Our customers are busy, they're frazzled, they don't have time unless we've got something original to bring to the table. And if we can bring something to the table that is adding value, and by that I mean it's improving, increasing, reducing, etc., the way that they do business and impacting on their bottom line, they haven't got time to see us. Now, the other point is this. They are coming in, and you must have heard this goodness knows how many times. Customers and prospects are coming into the buying or selling cycle so much further up the food chain now because they are educating themselves. They don't need us to demonstrate a product anymore. You know, those days of thinking that, oh, I've had an inquiry. I'll ring them up and ask them if I can come and give them a demonstration. Those days are over in most industries because the customers almost know as much about our products as we do. 
that's no longer a differentiator. So, you know, it's the way that it's going. And I think that if we fail to recognize the needs of our specific industry and our specific clients, then frankly, we stand the risk of becoming Luddites and we're going to be left behind because our competitors are taking a far more modern approach. So, Jonathan, in your experience with working with a lot of companies, not only that, but being associated with a lot of people in the sales industry, meaning the sales trainers and sales consultants, are there certain industries you see in this being impacted the most where you're seeing these wholesale changes or drifting towards this inside model? What you could say is if your product can be commoditized, then you can no longer use your product as a differentiator. And somebody said to me the other day, well, what exactly is a commodity? What defines a commodity? My first reaction was anything that can be bought with a credit card, okay? So how many years ago is it that when we wanted to buy a new mobile phone, we would go down to the high street and we'd try them all out, and then we'd have a sleazy salesman, you know, attempting to sell us something that we didn't really need or want? And I say that with all due respect, of course. It's not many years. And again, when was the last time we wanted to replace our laptop or our desktop PC? We'd go to the local PC store and we'd choose. Now, these are just two prime examples. I don't know about you, but my last three PCs and my last five phones, I've bought all online. I haven't moved away from my desk. So how long is it before mobile telephone shops disappear off the high street? And how long will it be before PC stores close up? other than to have a service and technical area. And those are two examples. But equally, you can look at the other end of the spectrum, and you could look at, for example, the aeronautical industry, where a salesperson or a team, which is more likely, are going to be negotiating multi-billion pound contracts. Those are probably not negotiations or sales scenarios that you can conduct totally online. But let me add this caveat. In any sales scenario, from the $100 to the $200 billion price tag, there will be stages of the sales cycle that can now be conducted online. So we're not saying wholesale, every part of the sales cycle, is necessarily going to immediately move inside, but certain elements of it. And when you think of a standard sales cycle in a corporate environment, how it has been typically you know, there's an inquiry, there's a telephone conversation, there's qualification going on, then there's that first exploratory meeting, and then there's probably another meeting to meet all the decision makers and the stakeholders, and then there's the proposal preparation, etc., all the way through to negotiation and close, and then account development. Now, all of that used to take place face-to-face, and it didn't necessarily always involve one person, of course. In many, many scenarios, it involved team selling. So you're taking all of those people, often on an aeroplane, staying in hotels to have one meeting. And so there are lots and lots of stages, and I do need to reiterate this, lots and lots of stages of the sales or buying cycle that can now be replaced adequately because we have the technology, whereas in the past, of course, we didn't have it. So, Jonathan, as I listen to you explain that, have you seen the trend then at the same time happening where we could drift towards more of an inside sales team, drift towards where technology is handling some of the early parts of the sales acquisition process and see that there are teams actually handling different parts of the sales process? And in other words, are we moving away from that 
one salesperson that can do it all type approach? Are we staffing towards different people doing different things along the sales process? This is a two-phase question, really, Jim. At the moment and for the foreseeable future, yeah, I mean, I think even at the top end, or particularly at the top end, you know, the days of the Lone Ranger salesperson are confined to the annals of history. It very much is team selling. When you're working, when your client is nominating a decision-making team, logically on that team, they're going to have technical input, financial input, commercial input. It makes sense that you load your team with people that can speak all of those languages because no one Lone Ranger salesperson can have however much adept he may think he is or she is, they won't have all of those skills to speak all those languages. So that's first phase. When we think second phase, what I want to do is go back to something I alluded to earlier, and that is where I think the importance in a typical commercial organization is going to be. And yes, this isn't immediate, but you know, I see this within the next three to five year period. I see 80% of business being reliant on marketing, again, to create the opportunity, to look after online presence, to generate leads. But I think the companies that are going to succeed are the ones that are looking after the back end. So looking after the technical end, the customer care, the customer retention, the customer development. Because that actually is, if you think about it, that is what customers want. And you remember I gave you two scenarios about PCs and telephones? Yes. This, was a, this really was a bit of a start, okay? Because, you know, I'm sure you'd agree, Jim, when we buy a new mobile phone or we buy a PC, what we're really looking for, we don't need someone to sell it to us. You know, we've had recommendations, we've gone online, we've looked at the spec, we know what we want, we know what we want to buy. So it's the marketing that attracted us to buy that phone in the first place. And then it, what we need after that, we don't need the salesperson because it's going to be posted to us. We then need to make sure that we've got excellent online support and good customer care so that we want to go back to that company again and again. And that is precisely what's going to happen to 80% of the sales space within the next three to five years. Are our sales leaders going to be embracing and driving this change, or are they going to be kicking and screaming going into this change, in your opinion? Well, it's, again, it's very difficult to make sweeping observations, of course, because, again, it's industry-specific, Jim. I have to tell you that one of the biggest problems, if not the biggest problem, when we look at how dramatically sales achievement levels are dipping. And, you know, let me give you some numbers. To the half-year point in 2013, less than 48% of salespeople globally, and there are 100 million salespeople globally, less than 48% of them were on quota. Is that alarming? Yeah, because at the same stage the previous year, in 2012, that was actually 49.7%. And the year before that, it was over 51%. So what we're witnessing... Sales achievement levels are dipping, and yet sales costs are rising alarmingly. So, you know, there's another good reason to take action. And the reason I share that with you is because I believe one of the single most significant factors in all of that is the paucity of good sales leaders. And you and I have discussed this before, both online and offline. If you show me an underachieving sales team, I'll show you a very poor sales manager or sales leader. And the average tenure now, according to Chavi, of a sales manager is just 18 months. Wow. Simple as that. Yeah. Yeah. 
I always say as the sales manager, I'm talking about that first level of sales manager, not talking about BP of sales or director of sales. When you get down to the people managing the teams of salespeople, I always say that's the tipping point in that organization. As that sales manager goes, so goes that team. They're going to drive that performance. Absolutely. I I couldn't agree with you more. But, you know, to a certain extent, I've got huge sympathy with them because companies broadly are not investing in their sales management team. They're beginning to invest in their sales teams again, but they're making erroneous conclusions that if a sales manager arrives in the role, then he must know how to sell. And if he knows how to sell, he must know how to manage. And, of course, it's two disparate sets of skills. Oh, absolutely. I always tell people that there's a difference between generating revenue, and that's what a salesperson does, and a sales manager who is supposed to be driving revenue. Well, yes, that is very true. But, you know, it's impossible not to be a successful sales manager. Our guest today on BizTalk is Jonathan Farrington, considered one of the globally recognized leaders in sales strategy. We're discussing the article he wrote in Top Sales World magazine, The Future of Professional Selling, There's No Way Back Now, a discussion on the future of the sales profession. In addition to Jonathan sharing his expertise on the future of sales, you can find other experts that have shared their own wisdom right here on BizTalk. They're available as podcasts on our website and cover business topics in the areas of recruiting, leadership, marketing, performance management, sales and sales management, and personal development. You can download these podcasts from our website, biztalkradioshow.com. That's B-I-Z, talkradioshow.com. So, Jonathan, before our break, we were talking about sales productivity, how it's decreasing, and yet at the same time, cost is going up. So I'm sure there are several implications to that. Let's discuss those. Number one, I would venture to say, and again, I'm talking in broad terms here, that there's a perception in the sales profession that the outside salespeople are the most polished and they do the best job and they're the most skilled. And if you can't make it there, well, gosh, we always have a job in inside sales that they're perceived as necessarily not as skilled as our outside salespeople. Yes, you're right. In days gone by, inside salespeople were junior salespeople. They were inexperienced salespeople. Their one ambition was to become an external salesperson, an outside salesperson with a shiny car and an expense account and, you know, to go and meet customers. And the sorts of duties they would perform would be, you know, minor account management duties, cold calling and supporting the main thrust of the external sales team. That's changed so dramatically. Inside sales is now a career. I mean, the salespeople that are actually turning up and applying for inside sales roles are graduates. They're looking for a career in sales. They're not interested in going outside. And in the old days, where they would only handle part of the sales or buying cycle, for example, they may be doing, they're working on generating leads for the main sales team. Not anymore. Because of technology, they're seeing the sales or buying cycle all the way through from making that cold call, getting the lead, qualifying it, conducting the exploratory meeting, meeting online via video conferencing, the whole DMU, the decision-making unit, presenting online, negotiating online, communicating online, and then managing and developing the account online. So it's my view that the people who should be most concerned or should be most willing to change are external salespeople right now. They are not the safest anymore. 
So if that's true and people are making that shift, then what shift do they have to make, in your opinion, in looking for characteristics of what a successful inside salesperson may have to have or do or know or skilled in to be effective in that job as an inside salesperson? What attributes are they going to need? Well, Jim, that's actually a very easy question to answer. Okay. Because if if you look at the skills we used to look for in a top 5% external outside salesperson, those are the skills that we now need for our inside salespeople. They need good presentation skills, negotiation skills, account management skills, and they need business development skills. They need exceptional motivational levels. Basically, we're replicating in our inside sales teams what we used to look for in our external sales teams, but we're doing it so much less expensively. Yeah. Okay. Are there lessons learned from companies either you know of or work with that is making this transition successful? In other words, what are they doing right that they can share with the rest of us? Yeah, essentially it's how you manage it. Because what you do have to manage is your existing client base. Most people will think, oh, okay, well, we're going to make that transition, so all we've got to think about is how we now handle leads. Well, we're handling lead generation outbound and inbound internally anyway, so it's not really going to make a difference, is it? Well, that's nonsense. 80% of most companies' business, most companies' revenue generation in any given year comes from existing clients in a B2B environment. So if that's true, which it is, then what we've got to do is we've got to involve our existing client base in that transition. We've got to tell them what we're doing, why we're doing it. Now, I'm living proof of how this transition could work because three years ago I announced to my own personal client base that 90% of our interactions were going to be online. When I consulted with them, we were going to do so through video conferencing. When we conducted small little workshops, it was all going to be online. It was all going to be interactive. And I guess probably 20% were quite resistant. And bearing in mind, 80% of my clients have been with me for more than 20 years. So clearly, there's a high level of trust there. So the guys that were slightly resistant, which actually happened to be the more newer clients, I said, let's try it for a quarter and see how it works. If you don't like it, I'm not going to force feed it to you. We'll make alternative arrangements. So we tried it, and you know what I'm going to say. They absolutely loved it. And the reason they loved it, there were several reasons they loved it. First of all, they discovered that you know we were able to switch meetings at short notice. Second, there was huge savings, which I passed on to them. They were no longer paying business class flights and my hotel costs and my living expenses whenever I came to see them. And, of course, having gone all that way to see them and spent a couple of days with them, they weren't able to change things. But our new relationship is wonderful, and it all works. So, yeah, I'm actually living proof of how a business, and let me say this, I'm not suggesting this would work for all businesses, but I believe in 80% of cases it does work. And, you know, again, I'm living proof that it can and does work. Well, I'm seeing evidence of that with the companies I work with. And some of the things I'll share with the audience, Jonathan, is even companies where an outside sales team is still needs to be deployed for the complexity of the product they're selling and a few other things. That's fine. But I've also seen these clients of mine start experimenting with inside sales teams to handle customers, let's say, that don't have the sales volume to justify putting a person on the street in front of them. 
And what they've mm -hmm. noticed is that this interaction has actually increased with their inside sales team. And they're smaller transactions. They're more the commoditized type products. But their sales volume is exploding in that area. At the same time, they still keep some of their outside sales team calling on the larger clients dealing with more complex issues. So I think it's just a question of take the chance and see if you can make that work in your industry, and I think you'll be surprised. I think you're absolutely spot on, Jim. You know, I've said several times during our chat today that it is industry-specific to an extent but, you know, I'm always interested, particularly when I engage with a new client, I'm always interested to sit down with every salesperson on that team. Once we've audited their skill sets and their product knowledge and their attitude and their commercial bandwidth, et cetera, I'm always keen to understand, you know, what they do, what percentage of their actual available selling time is really selling. And, you know, typically it's about 5%. The time that's taken in traveling, preparing for meetings, paperwork, et cetera, et cetera. Hard selling time, I would suggest to you today, is somewhere between 5 and 10%. Now, when we get smart and when we understand that every meeting today has to have a purpose, I mean, I really do hope the days of popping in to see a customer to see if there's anything going, I really do hope that those days are gone. I hope the days of salespeople walking around industrial estates, knocking on doors in the vain hope of meeting someone, I hope those days are gone. Because, you know, that isn't the way that professional salespeople should be selling anymore. Time is of the essence. I have yet to meet a salesperson, I think, ever. And bearing in mind, I've been very fortunate to train and coach and consult with about I think over 100,000 frontline salespeople. Do you know, I've never met one yet that said to me, Jonathan, I seem to have so much time. It just doesn't happen. <laughs> Absolutely. So, Jonathan, if you're with a CEO of a mid-sized company today, what advice are you giving them? Make sure that you're relevant. Make sure that everything you do throughout your commercial operation, and, and typically... I always describe the commercial elements of a business as being marketing, sales, and then what comes after that. We've talked about this. But you know, the, yep. Anyone that has a customer interaction, not talking about particularly the pointy heads in technical departments and the gray men in accounts. We're talking about the people who have real physical customer interaction via telephone or via email or whatever. Um, to make sure that they're all tuned in and everyone's singing from the same hymn sheet and everyone understands what the commercial objectives of the company are. I then suggest to them, you know, that they sit down and examine every element of their business and ask if what they're doing is relevant today. And more importantly, and this is why next year, early next year, we are launching a new suite of programs called 2020, by the way, which is 2020 selling, 2020 leading, 2020 managing, and 2020 customer retention. Simply because we want to gain a march, we want our clients to gain a march on their competitors and not think about how typically selling is done in their industry today. Because that's what happens. You know, you, you could speak to CEOs and you say, why do you do this? And they say, well, that's how it's done in our industry. And my question is to that is it just doesn't pass the so what test anymore. Why take such a myopic, introverted look within your own industry? 
you know, you might say, how's your customer care policy? Oh, it's not bad. It's about typical for the industry. Well, why not look outside of the industry? Why not benchmark yourself against the very best, not just the best in your town or your city or your industry? And those are the secrets to market dominance. It's a cliche now to say look outside the box, and I really don't like that expression. But it's so, so important to take a much more almost global view of the way business is done and go and learn from other business leaders from different industries. Understand best practices. Understand why companies are the most popular to work for and get it all right and bring it together. And this now more than ever because the hands are coming off the purse strings. Money is being spent. We're leaving all that doom and gloom behind for a while. And we're going into a period of opulence of, you know, hopefully sustained profitability and opportunity. And we've got to make the most of it. We've got to have thumbs out. Our guest today on BizTalk is Jonathan Farrington, globally recognized as one of the leading sales strategists. We're discussing the article he wrote for Top Sales World magazine, The Future of Professional Selling, There's No Way Back Now a discussion on the future of sales, and Jonathan's predictions for sales over the next three to five years. Jonathan, so if there's one piece of advice you would give a VP of sales today, what would that be? Well, I think you've got to examine, you know, we're back to this examination question again. You've got to look at every single member of your sales team. You've got to find out what they're doing. Everybody's got to be relevant. The way that your selling has got to be relevant, the way your marketing has got to be relevant, the way you pitch your sales team and stack up your sales team has got to be relevant. If 80% of your business is coming from existing clients, why have you got 80% of your sales resource constantly looking for new business and allowing your existing clients to drip out at the back end? Because, you know, very briefly, Jim, if you look at a typical sales operation, you know, phase one is to find the opportunity, phase two is to close the opportunity. And then phase three is to manage what comes after that and develop the account and get as much revenue as possible and not keep leaving money on the table. I would say to you, and I use Pareto all the time, you know that, the 80-20 rule, 80% of companies today are putting far too much resource on winning new business and far too little emphasis on looking after the clients they've got, even though 80% of their revenue every year is coming from existing clients. So, Jonathan, if people want to learn more, we just touched on the tip of the iceberg today on your expertise in a very narrow segment of just looking at the future of sales. You have so much more to offer. If people want to learn more of what you have available, how would they do that or where would they go? Well, what I would say is rather than taking a sort of, you know, personal and selfish view of this, I think everybody should be aware of what's going on at Top Sales World. I mean, we created this resource five years ago, and it's just grown and grown and grown, and supported by 58 of top sales experts. And every day we're providing brand new resource, tips, articles, videos, white papers, e-books, roundtables, masterclasses, an academy, a magazine that's got 168,000 circulation. It's just wonderful, wonderful. Most people, VP sales, sales managers, um, but on a personal level, I am over at www.jonathanfarrington.com. Jonathan, is there one question today I should have asked you that I haven't? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you could ask me what your plans for 2014 are. I think that would be a good question. So in 2014, <laughs> and let's look at it from just running a business. What do we need to be prepared for? 
Well, we mentioned, I mean, things aren't, you know, fully oiled and back running again as they were seven years ago. But 2014 is going to be a very, very good year for everyone. I can see that. We'll continue to see the migration, which is what this interview has been mainly about. We'll continue to see the migration into inside sales. I hope that we're going to find CEOs and, and VP sales who will take a detailed look at everything that they're doing and look outside their industry. You know, again, that's almost a summary, I guess, of something that I said earlier. But be relevant, be appropriate, and be focused. But more than anything, develop your people. Don't neglect your people. One of the downsides, one of the many of hundreds of downsides of this awful, awful economic slump that we've had recently is organizations stop developing their people. And our people are our most valuable asset. Without people, we have nothing. And people say, well, surely it's the most important. If you didn't have people, you wouldn't have customers. Who's going to look out for the customers? We've got to keep developing our people, and we've got to keep investing in them. But we've got to make sure that the skills that we're giving them are relevant. We cannot keep abdicating responsibility to external training companies, external consultancies. We've got to be on the nail. We've got to understand each individual and the importance that they bring to the company and develop them accordingly. Because properly developed people will give you a return on that investment by a factor of 10. You are doing in training and developing and coaching and counseling them is relevant. And so, you know, my one message from all of that would be look after your people because really, really good people deserve to be looked after and developed. That's what they want. They want to be valued. Yep. Jonathan, thanks for being on the program. My pleasure, Jim. This or other BizTalk podcast may be downloaded by visiting our website, biztalkradioshow.com, where you can subscribe to BizTalk through iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at BizTalk1040 and like us on Facebook. If you want to learn the strategies finding and getting performance out of A-player salespeople, contact Performance Group by calling 800-950-9509 or visit us on the web at pmgllc.net. This has been your host, Jim Lovato.